to the land of Turkey and planting churches. He has been a uh, pastor for many, many years, uh, most recently uh, over 20 years at Ocean View Baptist Church in San Pedro, and God used him in a mighty way that way. But all the credit goes to his wife, Laura. Laura, will you just, uh, uh, just stand and give her a warm welcome as uh, she uh, stands? Well, I guess we got to give the Spirit of God a little bit of credit as well. But uh, on a human level, Laura gets all the credit. Uh, but we're excited about having him here. We were joking in the first service that actually I've known Rich uh, since the junior high days, kind of grew up together. And uh, we could, uh, he could tell all kinds of stories about him. But as I was sharing, when he leaves, I could tell all the stories about him. So, uh, and I have more Sundays to do it. So, uh, but as he, he comes and shares with us God's word, uh, great message uh, in the first service. I'm looking forward to what he shares again this uh, second service. So let's uh, give him a warm welcome as he comes and shares with us. Now, Mike could keep speaking about me in the weeks to come, but I have a lot more material to work with than he does uh, with me, so we've got to keep, that, keep, keep it in mind, keep it in perspective. It's wonderful to be with all of you today, and thank you so very much for your faithful support of our work in Turkey over many years that you have been partners with us. What we are doing in the country of Turkey is reaching out to the very small Christian population in Turkey. Turkey is probably one of the least reached countries with the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. It is 99 point something percent Muslim. The Christian and in particular the Protestant Turkish population, evangelical population, is very small, maybe four to 5,000 Christians in a country of 80 million. And there are possibly approaching 100 Protestant churches in Turkey, the, a country the size of California, Oregon, and Washington. But of those churches, many have been started by Americans and Koreans and Brits and, and a number of different countries and wonderful great churches. But there's only a handful of Turkish evangelical pastors. And that is our focus, coming alongside this small group, helping to provide what's needed for their training. And then as they're ready to launch a new church to come alongside them and help with some of the financial support to begin a new church in the country of Turkey. And in many cases, those that are trained want to go back to their hometown and start a church. And some places in Turkey, you can go five, six hundred miles, and there is no Christian church anywhere around. And so we are helping with the goal of seeing 100 churches planted by Turkish evangelical pastors spreading throughout the country. And thank you for your role and being in a, a part of that. Along with supporting them, we try to be there for them uh, spiritually, emotionally, to nurture them, regularly stay in touch with these pastors. Many of them are out in places where there is very little contact with other Christians except the few that are the handful that are in their churches. And so we want to remind them that we're praying for them, that we love them. And you, you cannot imagine the smile on their faces when they hear that other brothers and sisters in America care about them and are praying for them, it means so much to them. In fact, just a few days ago, I received an email from the wife of one of our pastors 
that we have been, been standing with for many years, and she said, we just were contacted by Islamic State to say they know where we are, they know where our church is, and they're coming to get us. Please pray. And immediate, immediately we uh, got the word out to a network of folks who are praying for our brothers and sisters in Turkey and just reassured them that we're praying for them, that we care for them. And for, for anyone here today, if you'd like to be part of just our email network where not often, but maybe once a month or so, we give a little update on how to pray, we'd be happy to include uh, you in that. So again, thank you for your help and your support in what God is doing. And I have to say that probably one of the, the things that has touched me most deeply in these years that my wife and I have been a part of this work in Turkey is coming to realize what our brothers and sisters go through in this part of the world. Reuters news agency a couple of years ago said that <clears throat> their best estimate is that 100 million Christians suffer persecution, active persecution each year. Now, the British military and intelligence say that it's closer to 200 million Christians who actively undergo persecution every year. They need our prayers. They need our support. You know, in the Middle East, about 100 years ago, 20% of the Middle East was composed of Christians. Today, it's 5%. And some feel in the next 10 years, it will be down to 2% because Christians are being driven out by the radical forces there, told to leave their homes, told to convert, leave, or be executed. And many are being driven out. In Bethlehem, a town that was largely Christian for most of Christian history, maybe 30 years ago, it was 80% Christian, Arab Christian. Today, it is 20% Christian. The pastor of the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem has had his church bombed 14 times in a short period of time. He's been shot. It is very difficult for Christians in the Middle East today. In Iraq, the Christians numbered about 1.5 million in the country. Now it's less than half a million Christians in the country being driven out. Those who are driven out are largely Christians. Though there's only 5% Christian in the country of Iraq today, 40% of those fleeing the country as refugees are Christians. I visited a few years ago with the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Baghdad. And he told me that on a Sunday morning, like we're experiencing right here, in order to meet in their little building, what they would ask the believers to do in their congregation was to park their cars almost in a wagon train around the building, nose to nose, so suicide bombers couldn't get through and try to bomb them as they're worshiping on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine going through your worship service with that in the back of your minds? If you look at Syria today and the refugees that are leaving Syria, about a quarter of the refugees running from Syria today are Christians because of the threats against them. Christians were about 10% of the country at one time, much less percent of that today. 
And it's interesting that many of these refugees from Iraq and from Turkey, I mean from Iraq and Syria, are going into Turkey. And though the Christians there are just a handful within the whole country, the government of Turkey is helping in certain camps, but the handful of Christian pastors and leaders are helping thousands of these refugees, providing food and temporary shelter and letting them know about the love of Jesus Christ. So even in this difficult setting in Turkey, the Christian leaders there, the pastors, are, are thinking of others and wanting to help them. And certainly this morning as we look at our passage in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we're reminded that the persecution of Christians is not just a current event. It is something that Christians have experienced for 2,000 years. And as this letter is written to a group of Christians in the city of Smyrna, the name of the city in the first century, today we know it as Izmir, a large and successful city in, in Turkey today, the third largest city. But as this letter is written to Christians in Smyrna, it's written to Christians that lived in a community that was very faithful to the Roman Empire. And when the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians, the leaders in Smyrna wanted to be right up at the, the, the top level of achievement in persecuting the Christians in their community. It was a difficult place to live as a Christian. And certainly not a lot has changed in the last 2,000 years in that regard. But as we see in our passage this morning, we see that God is aware of what they're going through, that God has not forgotten his people. In fact, in this passage, we find that God lays out for them five important principles, five important teachings to keep in mind as we do face adversity. Now, certainly here in America, we do not face the same adversity as Christians in the Middle East. But in the midst of whatever we face, I believe these same five principles can make a huge difference in living out our Christian lives in the midst of the circumstances and challenges that we face as well. As we look at this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, the first thing that God says to these Christians that are under attack is he says that, number one, you need to know the Lord that more than anything else in the midst of the challenges and difficulties and adversities of life, we need to have a clear image in our hearts and minds of who our God is, the God who gave his life for us on the cross, who loves us so much, who cares for us. Never forget that. I'm sure you've had the same experience that I had just a few days ago with someone said to me, Rich, I'm going through this and, and God must have forgotten me, or God must have, uh, and they mentioned a number of things that they felt God was doing in the midst of their situation, and I was able to remind them, that's not where God is in the midst of this. God is very actively involved in this, and it's important to have the right view of God as we face the difficulties in our lives. And in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven letters to Christian congregations in the first century. And all seven of these letters begin with a description of Jesus. Just the reminder 
that each of these particular churches needed to have in the midst of what they were facing. And when it came to the church in Smyrna, the letter begins this way, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this. First of all, what this congregation needed to be reminded of is that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He has always existed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That no matter what we go through in this life, Jesus is faithful and will always be faithful to be there for us. He doesn't change. He loves his people. And no matter what we go through, he will always be there for us. Secondly, he reminds them that this same Jesus was dead and has come back to life. As we just recalled that at the Lord's table, that Jesus paid the ultimate price as he stood for the Father, as he remained true to the Father. Jesus knows everything that we could possibly go through because he's been through it himself and remained faithful and true. We can hold on to Jesus. He will never let us down. He understands what we go through, and he will be there every step of the way. First, we need to know the Lord and know him better every day. I I love what your church does in terms of daily devotional readings and small groups, all of that to help us know the Lord better, that we can stand strong in the adversities of life. Secondly, in verse 9, we need to know that he knows what we're going through, that nothing catches God by surprise, that God is aware of every challenge that we face in our lives, and he's there for us. Notice what he says to them in verse 9. He says, I know your tribulation. That word could be translated pressure. I know the pressure that you're under. And I know your poverty. As he puts a little footnote there, but you are rich. The Lord knows our pressure He knows the challenges that we face because of him. In that first century, in Hebrews chapter 10, it reminds us of Christians who who were still thankful, who still rejoiced when their property, their homes were taken away from them simply because they remained true. Poverty is often a result of Christians who stay true to the Lord in challenging places like communist countries today and and the the Middle East. He knows our tribulation. He knows our poverty. And he knows the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There in Smyrna, there were some in the Jewish community that weren't acting as God's people and were saying slanderous things to the Christian church. In that first century, Christians were slandered as being unfaithful, not patriotic to the country because they would not make sacrifices to the Roman gods. They were known as atheists. Because they gathered at the Lord's table and partook of the body and blood of Christ, they were known as cannibals because the outside world didn't understand what was actually going on there. They were called terrible names. And God says, I understand all of that. I know what you're going through. In fact, 
Christians today in the Middle East are also called traitors because somehow they feel if you're a, if you're a Christian in the Middle East, you don't belong there. That, you're, that you're, you must be there as a plant from the CIA or you must be there to undermine the country. You, you can't possibly belong there if you do not follow the teachings of Islam. Terrible things are said about Christians today. And because Christianity isn't understood, Christians are often called polytheists because they don't understand, the, the Islamic world does not understand the, the nature of the triune God in all of these ways. What we see here in verse 9 continues on today, and yet God says, remember, I know everything you're going through. You do not go through it alone. Nothing happens to you that I do not know and, and will not one day reward you for your faithfulness. Know that he knows what you're going through. Number three, know that these tribulations, trials, difficulties, challenges will come. Don't be surprised by them. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested. The Lord reminds him, don't be surprised by these things. As Christians, the world around us will not always understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and what motivates us. And sometimes, whether it's here in America where, where people may, may say things critical of us or, or in some ways ridicule us or whatever it may be, certainly it doesn't compare to what some Christians go through in the world today. But the Lord says, don't be surprised by that. We live in a fallen world. And there will be the, the heartaches and difficulties and challenges that come our way. Don't be surprised by these things. Peter, as he wrote in his first letter, his first epistle, to Christians who had been driven out of their homes that were in exile, that were refugees in Turkey, what would be Turkey today, known as Asia Minor in the first century. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. In just a moment, in fact, our, our last point, the Lord reminds them, Keep the future in mind. Realize what I have in store for you. Yes, we go through challenges and tribulations in this fallen world, but what God has ahead for us is so wonderful and so beautiful. Everything else pales in comparison to that. Know that these trials come. Number four, just a little bit after that in verse 10, know that they are limited. Know that they are limited. Just after this, when he says that you may be tested, he says, and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, some commentators look at this in a variety of ways. I think that the point here that the Lord is making to the believers in Smyrna is that when these trials come to them, it will be for a limited period. It will be for a limited time. Now, that limit might be that God might take them home early and spare them from any further uh, challenges and tribulations. It may be that, that God will have them go through for a season and then there will be a period of rest from it. 
I think we're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that when tri trials and tribulations come our way, that God does put a limit on them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we're reminded no temptation, or that could be translated test or trial, no trial has overtaken you but such as is common to humankind, the things everybody goes through. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond your ability, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When the challenges come, God reminds them that he is actively at work in our lives. He will not bring anything into our lives that is beyond what we can handle with his grace. And he will provide a way through it, a way of escape, a way to, to find our way through that challenge that he will open up for us. As we experience the adversities of life, remember that God puts limitations on those adversities and empowers his children to stand strong in the midst of it. About eight years ago, a survey was taken in the country of Turkey among those who had moved from Islam to Christianity, had converted to Christianity, and they were asked, what motivated you to become a Christian? The, the price is so high to do that. What could poss possibly have motivated you or encouraged you to do that? And they gave a number of di different answers, but 80% of them said this. They said, as we looked at our Christian neighbors and saw the adversity that they were going through and how in the midst of that adversity they gave kindness in return, that they showed us love in return, that we saw love in them like we've never seen anywhere. We wanted that. You see, it was Christians going through challenges and difficulties, but holding on to the strength and grace of God to respond with kindness and love that God used and continues to use in such a powerful way. And then finally, verse 8, we see, know the Lord. Verse 9, know that he knows. Verse 10, know that they come. Continuing in verse 10, know that they are limited. Finally, at the end of verse 10, know what's ahead. Know what's ahead for the Christian. Sometimes we need to keep our eyes on what's coming in order to handle the adversities that we're facing right now. As he says to them there in verse 10, the end there, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. As we go through adversity and challenge, God reminds us, what I have ahead for you is so much better than any of the infirmities and difficulties that we experience in this fallen world. I have the crown of life for you. I have everlasting life in the fullness of my presence. Keep that ever before you to remember that and to keep what you're going through in this life in perspective. He goes on to say in verse 11, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. One of the things that you notice in these two chapters, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, is that Christians are referred to as overcomers. It's just assumed that given the great God that we have and given 
all that he's done for us on the cross and what he does for us every day, that the hallmark of a Christian's life is that we are able to overcome whatever may come our way because we have such a great God, such an incredible God. And as he says here, that those who overcome, those who are true believers, shall not be hurt by the second death. The first death the Bible speaks of is physical death. And short of being captured in the rapture one day while still alive, each of us will die at some point, the first death. But we will never experience the second death, which is spiritual death, being separated from God spiritually, dying spiritually. Only those who reject Christ will experience the second death. And so as the Lord speaks to these Christians in Smyrna, it's a, an uplifting message. It's a message to remind them of what they will encounter. In fact, just 50 years after this is written, the pastor of this church in Smyrna will be taken and imprisoned and told that unless he is willing to make an offering to the Roman gods and worship the Roman gods, he will be executed. And the pastor of this church, Polycarp, said, I will never do that. For 86 years, he said, I have been faithful to my Christ and I will not reject him now. And he was taken out and he was executed. But keeping the words of this encouraging letter in his heart and mind. I think that probably the greatest thing that grabbed my heart and my wife as we were involved in the work of Turkey back in the year 2006. And maybe we were helping eight or ten churches at that time, just in the early stage of the, the stages of this ministry. And now, by your help and support and many others, we are helping 25 churches in the country of Turkey with the goal of seeing 100 churches established in the country of Turkey. But I was visiting with a new pastor that we were going to come alongside and help wonderful young man, married, two young children, was such a blessing to be with he and his family for the course of a day, talking about their new church and uh, talking about how we were going to come alongside and help them. They were excited. The church was going. It was doing great things. Nine months later, when I'm back in the States, I hear that this incredible pastor, Najati, had been executed. He and another Turkish brother and a German brother, the three of them, their lives had been taken because they were standing strong for Christ and wanted the good news of Jesus Christ to be heard. It is not easy to stand for Christ in certain parts of the world today. And I think one of the things that we want to keep in mind is what we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. The writer of Hebrews reminds us as he says, remember, remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them. And those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. I believe the, the, the message there to us is don't forget those that are in the body of Christ with us. Don't forget our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned Remind, be reminded of them as if you were in prison with them. Be reminded as if you were ill-treated with them. Pray for them. I can tell you from firsthand experience that the faces of these dear brothers and sisters in Turkey and elsewhere, when they know that brothers and sisters in America are praying for them, their face lights up. 
it means so much to them to know that they are not forgotten, but that their brothers and sisters in Christ keep them in prayer and stand in support with them. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Gracious and loving Father, thank you so much for your incredible gift of new life through Jesus Christ. And thank you, our Father, certainly for the freedoms that we experience here to be able to freely worship and reflect and remember and gather together and praise your name. But Lord, help us to never forget our brothers and sisters in challenging places. May they know that they are loved and prayed for. And certainly, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful fellowship and their heart for what you're doing in the world, their heart for their brothers and sisters and standing with them. And Lord, may you add your special blessing to these dear ones here, and may you add your grace and peace and strength and fruitfulness to your brothers and sisters, to your family, to our brothers and sisters who are serving in hard places. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.